she's a girl? What? Welcome everybody to Video Gameography from Game Informer. This is a podcast that explores iconic video game franchises one game at a time. You could kind of think about it, or or we've been kind of thinking about it as like structuring it like a TV show. So each season will explore a different game series. And then each episode within that series will explore one game that left a huge mark in the industry. So we're going to follow these series chronologically through time. Welcome to the penultimate episode. No, wait, is that right? That is not right. <laughs> <laughs> Getting canceled already, huh? Oh my gosh. I didn't want to say the, the, the pilot episode. Pilot episode. Different P. I got my P's mixed up. Anyways, I'm Ben Reeves. I'm Marcus Stewart. And today we're joined by Dantac. Hey, thanks for having me on the show today, guys. We thought uh, we'd kick it off with Metroid because it's one of the most influential games, I would argue, of all time. I don't know. Where do you guys at with that? Yeah, I think that sums it up, especially in the last, what, like 10 years where every game is a a Metroid, basically. Imagine where if Metroid didn't exist, where we would be right now. There'd be no games, basically, right? Yeah. What if the game was called like Adventures of Samus? Would they just be called Samusvanias? I think it'd just be Adventures of Samusvanias. Yes, the whole title, because everyone would respect it and say the whole name. Dan, you seem to balk a little bit when I said Metroid is one of the most influential games of all time. I think, well, I think Super Metroid is one of the most influential games of all time. You know, going back and looking at Metroid, I think is really challenging with today's lens. Like. I mean, I certainly played the game at the time, and I'm sure we'll get into that. But it, some of the stuff that it was doing were just core staples of like of like games back then, where you you know you had a a unit that could shoot things and maneuver around an area. Like these were these were so basic of concepts, and, and yeah, it definitely sold it sold its world a little bit better than other you know other I guess platforming shooters at the time. Is that what we can narrow it down to? I mean, it's complicated to go back and look at these games, how simplistic they are compared to what we have today. When we're looking for like inspiration industry wide, certainly Super Metroid had to come from somewhere, right? But I think I know I don't know for you guys, but when I went back and looked at this one, I was really not impressed. I was like, man, I yeah, I I remember that game nostalgically a lot more than this game actually is. But I'm sure we'll get into that in this today's roundtable conversation. Oh, we're going to get into all of it. We're hoping to do a, a huge dive into Metroid and kind of explore every nook and cranny we can, just like uh, just like Samus herself. And I think to start, it'd be good just to give a recap for our audio listeners. Where are you guys at with the series? Marcus, where are you at with the first Metroid? Do you love this game? Did you did you play it back in the day? Are you are you kind of a newcomer? So here's the thing. Uh, Metroid 1 released a few months before I was born. Uh-huh. <laughs> so so day one? Yes, uh, I was on that day one-ish with Metroid. Uh, That's what the doctor handed me when I came out of my mother, uh, which was a good choice because it turned me into the person I am today. But uh, but no, I didn't, um, I didn't actually play the original Metroid until I was probably in my early 20s where I played, uh, I played other Metroids before that one and again just because of how my age um so it wasn't until i played the game boy advance port of the first game and at that point i had already played fusion and zero mission and like prime and so it's like oh i want to go back to the to the old dog see how that is and you know 
it was jarring as someone that just came up with the more modernized polished versions of it but you you know i respect it i like going back and playing old games and trying to put myself in that time frame of like i could see why this would be mind-blowing at the time because you know i did grow up with an nes and like super mario brothers was like my first game so like you know i i at least i have that that mindset of like oh games only to right and that's it pretty much and so the idea of like oh th- you can go left and there's like a whole other world over there and down and up that's cool and not really knowing where to go <laughs> like even if it in its primitive like i could appreciate it i don't think it holds up super well just as a game but i could appreciate it so there's a part of me that wishes i could have that like transformative experience but you know i just you know like look at a draw just wasn't born early enough but i appreciate the first metroid yeah damn you for being so young dan tack where you at with metroid i'm uh jealous of marcus's youth that's where i'm at uh when i when i when metroid came out i was uh i got to play it close enough to day one i didn't have the cart at that point but we did a lot of like you know hanging out at friends houses and playing the latest titles at that point you know whichever one of your friends had the 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 console du jour and so i got to play metroid pretty much around release and obviously we were pretty enchanted by it at that point we were playing you know the other popular stuff of the day but but then what was the other popular stuff of the day god I mean, we were just getting done with ice hockey. I know we played a ton of that. Contra, Double Dragon. Uh, Yes. Yeah. All those. We had that whole stack of NES carts, right? And that was just like, we didn't think of any of the Metroid as anything special then. It was just like, oh, yeah, the game where you shoot stuff in space where we had, you know, five different games to play. It was not held in that kind of revered breath among us at the time. It was just another game. And it was a cool game, but probably not for the reasons that we think about it today in terms of game design. It was simply like, you know, hey, we found an ice gun. That's really cool. Now we can like shoot those enemies down or, hey, this is the one where you roll around in the ball. Nobody ever talked about it like we do now where we like dissect it in game design terminology and stuff. We're just like, yeah, whatever. That's like that sci-fi game. In the stack of carts, it was just the sci-fi action game. Now, by the time, again, by the time Super Metroid run around, we were like, wait, we had, you know, we were starting to appreciate things as gamers and enthusiasts rather than just being like, here's the sci-fi game. Here's the Mario Brothers game. Here's the racing game, and here's the sports game, you know? And here's the RPG. That's what we had, a stack of those. And that's what we played. That's how things were dissected into buckets. We weren't thinking about, oh, it's so cool how this is like you can backtrack in the world and stuff instead of going in a straight line like these are platformers. We didn't, we had no concept of that. Well, no, and, I, um, it is interesting. You said we didn't dissect games back then. And, well, we didn't. We were all dumb kids. <laughs> Marcus <laughs> was, uh, yeah. <laughs> Marcus wasn't even a baby yet. But even like outside of that, like games journalism didn't exist. So it's interesting to like cast your mind back into the 80s. People were doing interesting reviews with film and art and other forms of media. But games were like toys. Nobody out there was reviewing toys. I mean, they would, but like not not as like serious art. Right. So it's kind of interesting to think about it in that sense of like, oh, this stuff at the time was seen as like kids junk. Hey, I think it's really important to contextualize the conversation there because this was like the time where. You know, they had to make the Nintendo seal of quality during the NES era because there was such a bunch. There were people look at games now like we get so many good games compared to there were so many trash carts we'd buy we'd buy back in the day. And then we were stuck with them. Right. Like renting rental stores and all that stuff was a godsend because you could rent something like that you didn't know about because you had nowhere to get the info. Right. There was no games writing. There was no YouTube. You just you had to look at the back of the box and say, that's a cool screenshot. 
and read the marketing text. And that's how what you knew about the game. And that's it. Pretty much. Sometimes Outside you, of friends telling you, like word of mouth, maybe. Like, hey, man, you got to try this. You're just like, this is a cool picture. <laughs> I mean, we had the instruction manuals, the, you know, rip. But those those were always fun. But half the time, the stuff in those like was just like, where did they even come up with this? This has no bearing on the game at all. Like you get a backstory about a character that's not even relevant to anything. And those were fun, though. Those were fun. But outside of like, and I think Metroid really, you know, Metroid is one of the titles I think that succeeded in that area because you didn't need to know anything. And even though I think the game is super rough now, especially in comparison to the games that came after it, it did have a sense of like, we don't need to tell you anything. Just go find it and and have fun exploring the world and getting killed in it. And, you know, was it the Dark Souls of Metroid? Yeah, maybe, you know, let's just do, let's go there, right? Like it's, uh, so you know, it had a lot of really cool things to, to do in, in terms of like just letting the player figure things out for themselves. And I hope everybody listening to this is under the age of 20 because anybody over the age of 20 is like, yes, of course, like, you know exactly what we're talking about. <laughs> you know what I respect about when you're talking about a deceitful box art, that a North American Metroid box art pretty much just looks like the game. I respect that. Like, it's not like North, uh, North American Mega Man where you're like night and day. Oh, <laughs> that thing that rough. Yeah. If you ever seen North American Metroid box, you're like, no, that's just straight up what it looks like. So no surprises. Well, I actually and this is a tangent, but I actually love the old like 2800, the Atari 2800 box arts, like where they would hire painters and just like, I don't know, the game looks like two white squares dancing on a screen paint something that looks cool like this you'd have this crazy fantasy world with this wizard waving a wand and uh they had some really cool like it made it made the atari 2600 art uh games feel a little bit more sophisticated and cool which is i'm sure what they were trying to do because as we said this stuff was like basically a toy in the toy aisle right yeah do you think they ever felt guilty like i feel like i'm lying to children this game doesn't look anything like this but <laughs> this is what i'm hired to do uh, I talked to a couple of the artists who did the 2600 art back in the day, and they were like, yeah, we would we didn't even like see the game half the time. <laughs> they were just like, And also, they weren't like gamers or anything. They weren't programmers or, or anything. They were just artists who were contracted out to make this stuff. And they would, you know, they were lucky to get paid or I mean, I think they were happy to get paid most of the time, but they never even got like in some cases even got the game after it came out, which is kind of a shame. But yeah, let's let's talk about Metroid. Because as we've said, this game is super influential, super important. It's one of my favorite franchises. I think this first Metroid is probably the first Metroid game I played. It's not the first Metroid game I beat. But Marcus, you talked about how just, I think you talked about how mind-blowing it was just to be able to wander around. Like It's weird to describe Metroid as a platformer, I think especially today, because we think of like Mario, like the, it's all about jumping and, and, and jumping on people. And that's like Mario is such a, a established formula for platformers that that's what yeah. we think of. But it's like the purest form. Of exactly. It. But Metroid was basically all about jumping and attacking. It was basically kind of classified as a platformer, action platformer, but it had that exploration element to it. And that was like the mind blowing thing of like, oh, I can I can go backwards. Like, like it's like I just I don't have to walk just left to right. I can go backwards and then like. Oh, wait, I can go up and like there's a whole maze here. Like, this is crazy. Uh, so that was the big innovation for the franchise. And uh, I took some notes. We can go through the dev history a little bit with uh, you guys, if you like. As we said, cast your mind back to the 80s. 1986 is when the game came out in Japan. 
87, like late summer of 87 for the U.S., back in the time when games took a while to, to port over. Now, like, all I can picture is like, I don't know, being inside my mom's stomach. It was <laughs> a wonderful time. It was a wonderful time for Shelter Marcus's mom's world. stomach. <laughs> hey, Dan, Marcus yeah. thinks babies are born out of a stomach. I mean, he wasn't around at 87 to get an awesome slice of pizza and a nice Coca-Cola while we played Metroid and ice hockey and yeah. Friday the 13th and Goonies on our on our NES consoles. I mean, I got well, some of whatever my mom ate, I guess. She probably did all that. That's right, because you were just sitting in her stomach. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, for this conversation contextually, not to get off tangent, but it's just it's mind-blowing to me that Marcus wasn't around to experience the Atari before the NES because it's such a giant leap. And contextually, I think that matters because we, when we saw Metroid, you know, we were used to playing like, you know, Star Wars on the Atari, which like if you look at that game today, you're like, this is just a bunch of squares. There's not. What, how did they play this? But we thought it was awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's weird as like, as like I said, I've had an NES and like I I got video games when I was like two or three. Like, I honestly can't remember a time where I didn't have video games in my life. So I was like there from like basically out of the womb and like the Atari generation is the only real blind spot for me because at least i lived through like the back half of that nintendo era but like i have no context whatsoever for <laughs> atari and it's one of those things where like i wish i could go back i mean i've seen plenty of documentaries and stuff i was like i would love to go back and it was, just it was a darker yeah. time marcus oh it totally was but it, yeah. it's so wild like it's just like just games coming out every day for just 15 different platforms and stuff well no that was the thing is like well maybe you would have games coming out but I don't think every day like that's the thing is like if you go oh, back yeah. and look at some of those today, old release calendars. Oh, yeah. Today's every day. But. There was a you would get one game a month if you're lucky sometimes. And if you NES. got E.T., you were going to play E.T. And you know what? I didn't even think it was that bad. Probably because I was like, you know, five or whatever. <laughs> well, you were the contrarian kid. You're like, this isn't that bad, guys. Come on. No, it's just because I had no <laughs> idea what the hell to do in it. Not Nobody did. But it was OK that I didn't because I was five or whatever. <laughs> All right, so 1987, I did a little bit right. of history. Living on a Prayer is out. That was a Bon Jovi's big hit. Uh, in the movie theater, Beverly Hills Cop 2, Dirty Dancing. Those are some of the big movies. On TV, you had Roseanne, Different World. So that's the era we're living in. <laughs> and then on the NES comes this game called Metroid. And in the gaming space, some of the other big games of that year were like the original Street Fighter. So Metroid, imagine a world before Street Fighter 2 even. Like that's what we're in. The original Final Fantasy, the original Metal Gear, like this is that era of games. Interesting, like the Legend of Zelda, the first one came out a little bit before Metroid. And my understanding is the developers. Well, let's get into this. So Research and Development One is the team that tackled Metroid. And it was led by Gunpei Yokoi. Forgive me for some of these Japanese names, but this is the guy who created what the Game & Watch. He's also producer for Metroid and for Kid Icarus, kind of a legend in the industry, you could say. And uh, boy too, right? Yeah, so it was always the like the the his uh, mark of shame, right? The story goes that he cre- helped create the Virtual Boy. He's like, this is gonna be the next big thing, and yeah. then it was such a flop that they like moved him into like a corner office, and he like he was basically like shunned around the office, and people would like wow. almost not interact with him anymore. I wasn't there, but that's the, you know, those are the stories that have floated around the industry that this yeah. guy was, you know, in Japan, you didn't get fired, but you would get you just got professionally shunned. You would get professionally shunned uh, and sort of cornered off. But back when Metroid was coming out, 
Gunpei Yokoi was like kind of their star player. He was like Shigeru Miyamoto before Miyamoto. Yeah. Because around this time, Miyamoto's star is just starting to take off. You had Donkey Kong came out. You had um, Mario Brothers and then Legend of Zelda like just came out the same year as Metroid. And I think Gunpei was looking at the stuff like, hey, this who's this like kind of hotshot kids coming up? He's making stuff like Mario Brothers and Zelda. And so it's like, how do I... I kind of think like obviously we're reading into this, but it's like, do you think he as like the hotshot at Nintendo kind of looked at this this new up and comer and was like, oh, I gotta like, how do I steal some of that shine? I, I don't think anybody knew what the hell was going on back then. Honestly, game creation was such a vastly different entity than anything we have a concept of today, right? Like, oh, like from every angle of it right as you mentioned earlier they were toys right they even had brought rob the robot over to sell them as toys like that was the the mechanism behind having that as part of the nes right it's like because because of the atari crash nobody wanted video games they're like we need to we need to make it clear that these aren't video games they're toys right there was a the whole lot of, it, it's just it was a fascinating time in the industry and i i don't know that anybody was trying to like pull off stuff they do today where it's like oh they got a battle royale we need to learn something from them and make our own battle royale or something like that everyone was just like well, what if we had, you know, a plumber jumping around or a <laughs> little elf dude running around with a sword? You know, that, you know, you can you could call it simple, but it was a time of nascent creativity that I don't think people were just cribbing off each other's notes uh, as handily as they as they do today. For what you don't think so? I mean, some cases, yeah, there were certainly no shortage of, uh, you know, hey, this game totally isn't one of you know a Mega Man game or something, but like you know. Well, there were like dozens of like Pac-Man clones, like a big game would come out and be like, well, we got to like do basically that thing for capture. That's true, like outside of Nintendo, but I don't think within Nintendo itself. I don't think so. Mm. Except all their big games were all pretty different from each other. And it felt like they just, especially in that era, they felt like they just had that magic touch of like they could release anything. That's the thing. It would be stuff that even their executives were like, I don't know about this. And then it becomes a giant hit. Yeah. What a plumber? A donk, donkey dong? What? Ape <laughs> what? Guy. Okay, that's dumb. Why is he called donkey? Yeah. That's the thing about Nintendo is you got to give them props for they always do something different. Even with their sequels, they try to find a hook for the sequel. It's like, well, it can't be just like the original. Like, even though yeah. every other <laughs> developer on the planet's like, yeah, we'll just do another one. <laughs> but the, the interesting thing is they've done, they did interviews uh, since the release of the original Metroid where they've talked about how Super Mario Brothers and Zelda were both sort of pseudo inspirational for Metroid, where they were trying to take basically the platforming elements of Metroid or sorry, the platforming elements of Super Mario. So that's kind of where the side scrolling platforming stuff came in for Metroid. But they wanted to incorporate Zelda elements into it. So like the move in the free movement around in a world. So it's a yeah. So if you kind of think about it that way, it's like, oh, it's a. it's a Mario game designed to kind of play like a Zelda game. Like it kind of, you kind of see how they got to Metroid that way. I mean, I totally see it. Like now that you yeah. say that, I mean, it makes incredible amount of sense. You know, I referred to it earlier as, as a platforming shooting game. Like, you know, I, and it's hard to distill it down to that. Cause it doesn't, you know, you're not thinking that when you played it for the first time, you were just like, Hey, this is a cool game in space where I get like a laser blaster and I can kill little creepy crawly things. And there's bosses. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we, you know, we we never thought of it. It didn't have the revered space it does now. I guess is what I sh- is what I'm trying to re- like. When Super Metroid came around, we all 
freaked out and like, you know, drooled over that for 30 plus years. But, you know, with the first one, it was just another game in that NES stack. And and frankly, it was overshadowed quite a bit, I think, in, in my groups by the, the gold cartridge of the Zelda cartridge, which we would always go back to. Right. That was the but we were all fantasy. Do you guys remember, like, there, so. was this game promoted heavily at all do you guys remember like what did they do commercials like was it treated as a big deal by nintendo it, it was a big deal it was a big deal like everybody had metroid it was in the in the in the revered stack like if you had five nintendo games it was metroid zelda mario i mean i'm not gonna count duck hunt but you, have, you obviously own duck hunt and then, like, <laughs> you uh, got that one yeah right you you had I that one but it was clearly <laughs> under mario and zelda. like yeah. those were the first yeah. two you had and i, I so the the director was a guy named Satoru Okada. Again, I hope I'm doing the na- those names justice. He was the director for Kid Icarus and Solar Striker. But he, more importantly, he kind of came along with Gunpei from the Game & Watch days. And he was like one of the guys who helped out with the original Game Boy system. Like they were mostly like tech guys. And so I think you kind of see like their mentality was like, we're tech people who design these to- tech toys and then there was like the new crew, like the Shiro Miyamoto's who were like just sort of gifted in knowing game design just inherently. And I, I think there was like that interesting transitionary period of like the tech guys trying to understand how to create software and not quite getting it 100% because you can tell, no offense to Metroid fans, but like Metroid just doesn't quite have that same level of sheen as things like Legend of Zelda or Super Mario Brothers, at least the first one, the first Metroid is what we're talking about here. Yeah, it's also so much bigger than those games. You think that like sacrifice polish for scale, maybe if you look at it compared to even other games of the era, Metroid's not that big. It just took a while to get around because you had to know where stuff was. It's actually a pretty small game if you think about it. But I mean, compared to like Zelda or something much bigger game, I think maybe I'm talking out of my uh, I think so. I, I do think so. Yeah. Like, obviously, I haven't played Metroid in a very long time, but I recall once we got the hang of it, once we knew where the E-tanks were and or whatever they're called, the energy tanks, and, and like, you know, where you could get a quick path to the freeze gun and all that other stuff, it was a pretty quick playthrough uh, in comparison to other games of the day. Yeah, I would say that it'd be interesting to count the screens and see, like, which had more screens. But the one thing we talked about design, Legend of Zelda just had a better design to it there was definitely moments in that game where it's like i'm lost i don't know where to go but it was a little bit easier i think to find the, a dungeon you could get to and metroid didn't really have an equivalent to that it was kind of just like it felt more meandering this is my metroid, metroid you are in just one giant zelda dungeon right if you really want to if you really want to get meta here it's just one big dungeon right and you're and you're looking for the key to the next area of the dungeon until you finish the whole thing off right right yeah yeah there's um Yoshio Sakamoto, he was like a designer back in the day, and he has a quote. He They did an interview with him, oh, like three or four years ago, back when the SNES Mini was coming out, and the Metroid was on that. So they did an interview with him, and he says, we were partway through development process when one of the staff members said, hey, wouldn't it be kind of cool if we turn this person inside in the suit into a woman? So it's kind of like... Like halfway through development, they were like coming up with these concepts. Uh, And I think there was a quote, too, where he talked about, oh, we were like months and months in. And then we're like, somebody was like, hey, we got to ship this soon. So let's 
try to put all these pieces together because everything they had just been developing like cool art and cool like areas and stuff, but none of it really fit together. And so then at the very end of development, it was like this huge scramble to try to fit all the pieces together and somehow make it a working game. (laughs) It's like wild, right? To think like that's how games were made back then. Yeah. Everyone had their own weird little, you know, there was no production pipeline or at least not like a standardized one. Everyone's just like, I don't know. Whatever works best for this game or whatever works best for us, just make it happen. <laughs> I mean, yeah, again, like at the time, they're, they're simple electronic toys. And today they are a massive multimedia entertainment industry, right? Encompassing many hundreds to thousands of different aspects that were never even thought about back then. When, you know, they were just another part of, a, of an entertainment ensemble rather than being today probably the most relevant form of media that exists. For sure. Um, the other big, I think, talking point for development, a thing that had a big influence on the game was the Alien franchise. And I'm sure if you've played Metroid at all, you can probably spot the the similarities there. Wait, what's a me- wait? Hang on. What's a Metroid? <laughs> well, it, it is interesting if you think about uh, what Alien came out in 79. So that's less than 10 years before the release of this game. So, you know. I don't know. What were some like the big hot movies? It'd be like now if you were making a game and like you were really into like the original Guardians of the Galaxy or something. I don't know. Like like it wasn't that far back if you think about it that way. And then right. the, the Alien sequel was it came out the same summer as Metroid in Japan, like 86. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like in the air, uh, this like haunting, dark you know, aliens, if you haven't seen it, it's a horror movie <laughs> about an alien and Metroid didn't go quite that hard on the horror elements, but it was very haunting, creepy, atmospheric, all about aliens. Like they, they've said in development journals that they were inspired by that. I get that. And I think accomplishing a horror feel in a game back then would have been really tough. I guess like the Friday the 13th game, for example, I think it was around the same era. That wasn't scary at all. Right. Like it's just really hard to convey a sense of dread and atmosphere with, you know, eight bits and a dream it, it can maybe be done but i don't think i've ever seen it done well yeah i think metroid like it's not trying to be necessarily scary but it kind of nails that sense of isolation and just like that oh i'm in an unfamiliar world i'm by myself and like not throwing a ton at you all the time like they give you time to kind of walk around and soak in that atmosphere before they throw a thing at you uh-huh. uh which is uh, I think it does a lot for, you know, capturing that sense of like, OK, I'm just I'm on my own here and I got to map out this place, see what's going on. You know, even though I'm shooting everything that I see <laughs> at the same time, you're kind of taking mental notes like, what was that thing? I don't know. What th- that thing's trying to kill me, I guess. <laughs> it looks like it is. Uh, so I think just by doing that, like, I think it pulls off that eerie sense of being alone, even if it's not. I mean, I guess that could be scary to some people, but I don't like being alone. Yeah, and I think more. I'm glad you guys are here. Please stick around. (laughs) I think it was more atmospheric than the vast majority of games of the era. Sure, but I still think you know you had very little to work with, right? So conveying atmosphere, I think, in that era of games was just a lot harder. But you're right, and I think the 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 open design really contributed to it as well. The more open design. I don't think this game, in a weird way, like they didn't know what they were building and or how to build it, and I think in a weird way that that helped it become the game it was. I don't think this game would have succeeded if it had been a game 
without that like weird atmosphere, right? If like if it had been yeah. just like fun, loving, like chibi art style, you know, like Super Mother Mario Brothers, like light, fun, goofy thing, I don't think it would have succeeded in the same way. Just as well as like, I don't think if if they had known exactly the design they wanted to do, like and made it a linear platform thing, it also wouldn't have worked. Like it needed both of those things to really like stand out and just be this weird new thing. Yeah, for sure. They've also said that Alien was a big inspiration. You know, Ridley Scott, director of Alien, they actually named one of the enemy monsters after him. So Ridley is named after Ridley Scott. Uh, Ridley is the weird, what pterodactyl monster? Was yeah, what the pterodactyl of the two bosses in the game? Unless you know, and and the third boss, you know, and Mother Brain, right? So yeah, and of course, Ridley, an, an iconic figure now for the brand, even though it was just like some what, like <laughs> it's like funny how these how we how we build these things up over the series of the franchise, right? Like now it's like a Smash character and everything, but like this was just like, hey, here's this like weird mutant bird thing, go at it. <laughs> right yeah, right there's about, a, like i mean no you're right when i was looking up like ridley like i mean the other like Craid and mother brain have come mm-hmm. back over time but like ridley is like the arch nemesis of samus even though i think there's only like two games where he's been the final boss like he's usually just the lead up to the final boss right like, everyone associate like no that's that's samus's arch nemesis that's the guy <laughs> yeah i, I mean think that has to, yeah you fought is it is it a her even is is really a, a female i, I never know I, I i think ridley's male i don't i don't actually know it's a freaking alien monster i don't does it matter <laughs> could be a third gender who knows yeah the pterodactyl um, man the weird thing is like yeah he he she is so like ever present in the franchise that uh, you fight Ridley more than you fight Mother Brain or or Metroids for that matter, I bet. Yeah. Really? Huh. I mean, Ridley, if it was because of me, he is the coolest looking boss out of the three of them. You know, Kraid's okay. It's kind of more gross than like scary. Like Ridley looks scary. Oh, like, I, I, yeah. On that. yeah. I remember meeting beating Mother Brain for the first time. It's like a, you know, it's like a weird puzzle fight. It's the jar brain thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's not cool. <laughs> Ridley's a pterodactyl <laughs> man. That's exactly right. Yes. So I got another quote from uh, Kyote who talked about just the development process. And he says, we had no clue what development of a video game would be like. And besides, we were told to throw it together any old way. So we didn't sweat it. He was talking just sort of at the end of the process. Just get this thing working, guys. Get it out the door. (laughs) Like we need to sell this thing. And Uh, And I can't imagine that was a unique situation for games at all in that era it, it certainly wasn't right that's a lot of games came together that way they yeah. didn't all come together as good as metroid that's for sure but, but a lot of games sure. definitely were you know hey let's just make a thing get a get the tab up at toys r us and and uh somebody will buy it <laughs> whatever happens happens unlike today when games can take you know how long does rockstar take to make a game 10 years at this point it seems like uh but metroid only took about 10 months to complete and it seems like the first several months were were a lot of experimenting and art asset designing, and it really came together in those final months, which is kind of wild. Yeah, that's weird to think. I know games took much shorter time, but just the idea that something like that took ten months. Yeah, when we compare it to today, but I, I, I and I, and I don't know. I don't know if we know, but I can't imagine that was much different than the other cycles of that era, right? I, I've heard shorter yeah. times and stuff like that. that was, yeah, you were games could get created back then because yeah, people cranked know. out games in a week. Okay, I don't know about that. Well, I mean, so <laughs> e- E.T. 
<laughs> well, I mean, like a month, a you can a month. crank out a game like Metroid these days and a game jam like over a weekend. But there's right. so many more game design tools that help you along in process. This is a game that was created from scratch. Uh, we talked a little bit about Samus being a woman, which was definitely a surprise to me and a lot of people who played it for the first time. The whole time you think this person in the suit is a dude because in video games, you always played as a guy. Like even today, you're still playing as a guy most of the time. But back then, like it was always a guy you were playing. And so it's like, who's this person in this spacesuit? Must be a dude. Interestingly, in the instruction booklets, they referred to Samus as a he a couple of times. Yeah, and they probably just forgot to change. I mean, they did this all the time back then, right? They're just like, hey, we forgot to t- one one hand wasn't talking to the other when they made the decision to put do a thing and marketing materials went out. Do you think it was a mistake? It wasn't an intentional like we're gonna fool them. I oh, did they? I think they I were being that's intentional what I, about that's it. What I assume. So like, I oh, okay, fair. I did a deep dive on this, honestly. I went okay. to the instruction booklet, the original Japanese instruction booklet, and I found somebody who translated it. And as an aside, just as kind of a background to this, in Japanese it's sort of easy to hide your pronouns. Like you don't I don't speak Japanese, so somebody who speaks Japanese can correct me. My understanding is that you don't have to go out of your way to say a pronoun like he or she. Like, it's pretty easy to not say that stuff. And I bring that up because at several points in the Japanese instruction booklet, the story recap, they talk about Samus being a he. And it's like they didn't really need to do that. So it seems like they were being deceptive. Either that or the instruction booklets were created like, Five months before the game shipped, right? Before I guess they that, made that the decision. My, that was my initial theory, but I, you're, you're right. I, I maybe it was intentional. I don't know. I, and if we, I don't, I don't, I don't have any background on this. So, since you guys, you know, obviously you guys grew up in the era. By the time I got to Metroid, I was I had already known that Samus was a woman, so I did not have that surprise. Again, it's one of the things I wish I could have had that. Um, but do you guys like how surprised were you? Do you remember like? The sh- I mean, the shock the what like on the level of like one to ten. How were, surprised were you? I wasn't surprised because we figured out the code or whatever. What was it? Justin, Justin Ridley, <laughs> Justin Ripley, Justin was Bailey, Justin Bailey. That's the thing. Yeah. So we we are. Uh, the other was Dan answer to that question. <laughs> I mean, well, at the time, Marcus, you got to understand, like we didn't have Game Gear or anything, but every game had codes, sure. right? Yeah. And I think that was Justin, Justin Bailey or whatever was even like a I don't know. It was probably a Nintendo Power before it got passed around the classroom. Just think, Marcus, we had classroom with no cell phones, all right? No iPads, no nothing. But at lunch, you'd be like, hey, we're playing Metroid, and I got a code. And you're like, oh, wow, a code, a code. And we'd go in there and all punch it in, and we'd all gather around our, our CRT TV. What, what about you, Ben? Scale of 1 to 10, shock factor. Uh, it, was, it was surprising. Well, it was surprising mixed with, like, titillation <laughs> in, like, a weird way, right? Because... That was the thing is like she would if you made it through the game fast enough in like an hour or something, she was in a swimsuit. You can look at the pictures. It didn't even like if you squint, it looks like a woman in a swimsuit, right? Like it does not look anything like a real person. But, you know, as a dumb eight year old kid or whatever, I was like, I want to see a woman in, in her underwear. And <laughs> so this game. that's right. <laughs> uh, you didn't but, have to, though. You just had to put in Justin Bailey and you were good. to get. <laughs> that's, that's so interesting note about that is. A lot of people theorize, like, who's Justin Bailey? Is this named after a person on the dev team or something? And as far as I can find out, I don't think so. I don't think it was ever a real person. I don't think it's like, I don't even think it's like intentional on the developer's part. I found a quote from 
George Seinfeld, who wrote for Nintendo Power back in the day, and his take was a, that it was just sort of an accidental thing. Like there's, it's all randomized. And so it's just like a random coincidence that all these letters right. lined up to say a person's name. Anyway, here's the quote. Here's yeah. the quote. No. Sam is. <laughs> okay, let I me say it. it. So this is George from Nintendo Power talking. He, he gave a quote to, I think, Mental Floss a while ago. Samus shows her identity and appears in the revealing suit if you're able to finish the game very quickly. I think it's less than an hour. When you stop playing at any point after that, the game will generate a password that allows you to start again with Samus in that state. The fact that Justin Bailey works as a password at all, let alone that features a powered up Samus, is pure coincidence and not put into the game intentionally. And it kind of goes on to explain that like there are probably other names that actually work. There's other like turns of phrases that if you put them into a password generator uh, in the Metroid password thing, they work. That's just like total random coincidence. And the fact that Justin Bailey caught on is probably just because it sounds like a real person's name. I mean, that is a real person's name. That's great. You, you would think I, it would be I like don't maybe believe one of the names would be real, but not both. I listen. I mean, that's certainly a statement there. I don't believe it. There's no way in my mind that, that wasn't an intentional thing, that it's not just some out, you know, ZZ7 capital B34. No, no. It's intentional for sure. I just don't know why. And we're going to get to the bottom of this mystery. All right. I'm you going think out. there's a Justin Bailey out there hiding? Yeah. That is I don't attached know. to this. There's got to be a story there. There's no there's no just freaking way that it just lined up that way. I, I get we have the statement and everything, but I don't have to believe it. You know what? <laughs> if you're the Justin Bailey that this is based on and you're listening, send us an email. Well, that's the thing. It's been what? multiple decades at this point and i feel like if that person really existed they would have come forward at this point but nobody cared about this kind of stuff back then do you think that people care about it now maybe he doesn't know nobody would have given it a second thought even 10 years after that right nobody would be like nobody cared they just wanted they put in the code they did the thing and they got and they were done with the toy today we go back and we're coffee i i got i i have to think there's something more to this than just being a, it just randomly showed up as a, as seemingly somebody's name. <laughs> I like the I, random I coincidence thing. I, I don't I, buy it. But the thing is like, if there are other codes that just like, you know, if you type in, I am red dog seven, that's like, Oh, it doesn't mean anything, but it's like, those are real words that could work. But does it? Well, that's just an example, Dan. I'm just saying like, there's other like turns of phrases that, that just so happen. They're random quote unquote random letters that just so happen to form a word that makes sense to us humans. But it's if like you know a story, million apes typing at a keyboard. Eventually you're going to write Shakespeare's plays, right? You're right. But this one is just, just happens to fill the spots perfectly with a name. So if you know the store, the real that's story, what makes it a coincidence. If you <laughs> that's know what, the that's story. the definition of a coincidence. You can email me Daniel at gameinformer.com with the real story behind Justin. All, Bailey. Right. All right. We will break this thing wide open. <laughs> that's how you journalism, Dan. Good job. That's how you do it. <laughs> Thank you. Please send me a news story. Uh, <laughs> Interesting fact, too, about just Samus's name is they wanted to name her after Pele, the famous football Wait, player. Soccer? What? Yeah, Wait. famous soccer player. Uh, so no. Pele's. <laughs> oh, gosh, I don't even know how to go about. It. Do you guys know his real name? It's like Arantes Nascimentos. I don't watch. Well, that's he has like his middle and his last name. And so they were like, oh, we thought his middle name was like Samus Arantes. But Edson Arantes do Nascimento. Yes. 
So his real name is Edson Arantes. So they effed it up, right? But it ended up being kind of a cool name anyway, Samus. I don't know where they actually got the name Samus. They just thought it was Pele's middle name. I mean, my my boring answer would have been like, hey, we were going to originally she was going to be a man named Sam. And then somewhere along the way, we're like, wouldn't it be cool if she was a lady? Well, I mean, even though Sam is in, <laughs> you can use it interchangeably with genders. Let's make it sound more alien. Oh, Sam interesting. That was always my headcanon sure. for that. Well, maybe they were going with, uh, you know, Pele's middle name, Edson. And they were like, oh, this guy's name is Edson. And then they changed him him to her. And they're like, that's not a good name for a girl. You think Pele knows this? You think they? I think he thinks about it every day. It. That <laughs> I, think, I think he has never, ever thought about it. Uh, <laughs> just so you know. That's why he's been brought up uh, multiple E3 stages because he's so attached to the game industry because of this. That's why EA brought him onto their stage. Yes. <laughs> no, that is an interesting question. Do you think Pele's ever touched Metroid in any capacity? No. <laughs> Not even well, touched a controller. With hang on. Just there, Metroid there happened to be playing in his nephew's Hold basement. On. He actually picked up a controller to move it out of the way. Nothing like there that. Maybe like some some ancient '80s Nintendo event that they that they you know brought him out for that we don't know about, like to play at a Toys R Us opening gala or something. They like that. They didn't have those but back then, Dan. God, they had to have something like that, right? There's they a, did. A soccer game on NES, right? Celebrity like, endorsements have never soccer. stopped. All right, those existed. They went. We just they were in Pizza Hut commercials instead of how they are now, right? <laughs> I mean, he's eighty years old. He's old enough to have grandchildren at this point. I'm sure one of them. So, Dan, you think during a Pizza Hut commercial starring Pele, <laughs> they like while he was getting his makeup done, he played Metroid? Is that your theory? No, I think there's probably there was probably some some Nintendo fan event, like you know, like sort of like the Wizard thing where they brought out a bunch of celebrities that we don't remember. There's probably footage out there somewhere. It happened back then. They were still doing stuff like that. Those stunts have never stopped. Here's a fun fact about Pele. It's not Metroid, but apparently he likes to refer to himself in the third person. Does he really? Is that because he's the king of football? I, I guess I figured it out. It's because his real name yeah. is just Justin Bailey. There it is. Now we figured it out. It's done. Oh, man. Congrats, Dan. Thank you. So Metroid came out in Japan, like we said, in February of 1986. And the weird thing about this is that was right around the time when Nintendo was doing the Famicom disc system. You guys remember this thing? I've yeah. seen it. It was a peripheral for their. So the Famicom is the Japanese name for what became the NES, the Nintendo Entertainment System. But but in Japan, it was originally called the Famicom for family computer. There was a peripheral, like an, a detachment they released called the disc system. And that played discs like floppy disks. And the advantage there was like Nintendo was like, oh, it can store more stuff. But then also people could like bring it back into the computer store and they could like, here's my my disc for, I don't know, Zelda. Please copy Metroid onto it. And I because I would like Metroid instead. And they, they would charge a fee for you to like replace a game and overwrite a game with another game. But they were like, oh, for consumers, it'll be great. And for us, hopefully we'll make money out of this somehow. So that was the theory, but the disc system didn't do super well in Japan. And like a couple of months after Metroid came out, Nintendo sort of found a way to release cartridges with more memory. So kind of like, kind of like they ate their own lunch. Now they're releasing cartridges that are as big as the disc system games. So this thing is obsolete and people didn't really like having to bring their discs back in to override them anyway. What a weird system. 
it is super weird. They, they tried all kinds of, I mean, there's an epic amount of like weird contraptions from back in those days that, that have been lost to time. You know, it'd so, be a mean prank if you took someone's disc and just got their game overwritten without them knowing it and then gave it back to them. Like, yeah, this still has Mario on it. And it's like some terrible game instead. I'm sure somebody's done that. I'm sure it probably freaks out people like Frank Savaldi or other historians who are like, oh, I found the disc for this this game that I nobody has and I can't find anywhere. And then you stick it in and like turns out it's just Mario Brothers. You're just like, <laughs> oh, man. Uh. But yeah, so people blame the fact that disc systems failure partially for the reason why Metroid isn't super popular in Japan. Because in Japan... People don't really care about Metroid as much, but here in the U.S., it is far, far more popular. The whole series is more popular in the U.S. than it is in Japan. It's wild to me. I don't know. Maybe just maybe because I just like Metroid. It's like it seems like that would be such a home run across the board, right? It's like, oh, you're a cool sort of kind of space marine bounty hunter with a gun, you just go blasting aliens in a cool world. Like it seems like that would just speak <laughs> across any any culture any generation like that's just cool to me and I, if if that's the root of metroid's lack of popularity in japan to this day that's that's just like i'm shaking my head at that like that's why because <laughs> like, you're right because <laughs> that one thing <laughs> yes the butterfly flaps its wings and like oh what if the disc system took off it would metroid yeah. be huge not out like there Japan has like an anti like we just don't like sci-fi thing which is you know obviously not true yeah, like it's all over their anime. They can't get enough yeah. sci-fi, right? Exactly. Like it seems like that Samus should be like they should have statues of Samus everywhere. <laughs> it's not a mech suit, but it's close enough. It's close enough. Yeah. Marcus, you want to take us through the story of Metroid? Sure. Let's let's talk about Metroid. But first, you know, should probably do some setup here. You know, it takes place in the year two thousand and CC. Which is a cosmic calendar. I don't know if that's, I don't think it's supposed to be equivalent to like our years, but you know, go with it. Was it CC? And, I thought it was XX. Well, all right. So the Galactic Federation was formed in 2000 CC, which is who Samus works for. And basically the, the background, you're right. It takes place in 20 X5, which I don't know why they put the X there. It's, I guess it could be <laughs> 25, 35, 45. <laughs> clearly a year that ended in five, but we can't tell you the decade. Yeah, it's like just go twenty double X. I mean, this came out before Mega Man, so this would have they would have beaten him to the punch on that. <laughs> but gosh, yeah, that's funny. Know, the Galactic Federation is this giant, just kind of a almost like Mass Effect style, just agreement between all these alien races uh, that are all get along and they trade with each other. But then space pirates showed up and started uh, messing things up with that. And basically, the Galactic Federation had no answer for this. They tried to deal with them. They just, the space pirates just kept outgunning them. And then eventually they find out in the year that this game takes place that the uh, space pirates attack a ship carrying a dangerous life form known as a Metroid from the planet SR388. I don't want to like blow past like the term space pirates. I feel like that needs to be dissected a little bit. Now, you say space pirates and I think of Metroid and I think of the alien looking thing in Metroid, but like that as a term, like if you said space pirate to somebody who didn't know that they would think of a, a weird sci-fi looking pirate, right? With a peg leg and a pistol laser pistol or something, right? Yeah. Like it, it still trips me up now when it's like, Oh yeah, they're referring to Ridley and just monsters that are, you know, they're not mindless. Like they're super smart and know how to like 
operate machinery and and lead an army basically but yeah pretty much you would think of like well, maybe not guardians of the galaxy but something like that like I, a bunch honest, of no a scoundrels i think you're right it kind of is more of like that now they are a race like they are a race of creatures in the metroid lore but i think back then when they were creating this do you think they were just thinking like literally like What's a cool word? I think they're actually like pirates in space, like they're rapscallion crew of pirates who are just like, like almost kind of like a Han Solo type character, right? Who's just like in yeah. space. Are they, are they a race? Because I, I don't even know if I got that much out of it. Is it like the race of space pirates? Because I took it as, you know, if you're a Dragon Ball fan, I always thought of it like Frieza's army, where it's just like this empire that's made up of a bunch of different races, but they're all united under him because he's the strongest. So, yeah, you know, not to know, be they all wear uniforms and do the same thing, but they come from all over the galaxy. Not and to be spacist, like, but they all look the same, don't they? No, they're all different. Like they all wear the same uniforms, but like you look at. No, 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 army. not Freeze's army. I'm talking about space pirates all look the same. Well, no, because Crate is like a. Well, I mean, I guess like the, the rank and file dudes, depending on the game, like thinking about how they look in Metroid Prime. Kind of. Yeah. But like the leader, like Craig and Ridley look totally different from each okay. other. And of course, Mother Brain is its own thing. It's probably more like the Covenant from Halo then. It's like a collection yeah. of different races. Right? Does that seem fair? Yeah, I think I think it's closer to that. Yeah, we'll, we'll go with that. Pre-Covenant. <laughs> Pre-Covenant. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's that is the Space Pirates. They're they're really tough. Apparently they got the. They got the Galactic Federation sweating. They don't know what to do, especially now that they got this Metroid. Mm. That's really freaking them out. I mentioned, too, that I mentioned Han Solo earlier. If you flip open an old Metroid instruction booklet, you can find scans online. There's clearly an image in there that looks exactly like a TIE fighter. You're like, this is this is a TIE fighter, Nintendo. What are you doing? I like. Yeah, like I said earlier, like just. If you go back and look at the old instruction manuals, there's stuff in them that wasn't ever in the game, especially art wise. Like there were art assets. It's just like, wait, that's not anywhere in here. Not just for Metroid, but for lots of stuff. So really fascinating. Samus's ship just looked like a TIE fighter. That'd be great. They just had maybe an extra wing to it to differentiate it. And that's it. <laughs> yeah, I do like her ship, though. Her ship looks kind of cool. It's very symmetrical. Yeah. Top 10 video game ships. Throw yeah. On there. So, yeah, Metroid. I don't know if we like, do we want to dissect the Metroid itself, the namesake of the series? Because, you know, as a kid, of course, like the same thing with Zelda. When I first saw Metroid, I thought it was referring to Samus, that she was Metroid. And you find out that that's the enemy. Mm-hmm. And, but but not even necessarily like the main enemy. Like, Met- like I said, kind of like in a weird Ridley situation, like Metroids are always present and they're kind of like the MacGuffins. They're totally they're yeah Metroid Giffins. Nope, that doesn't work. Metroidfins. Yeah, you did Sounds it better. Sounds like a weird McDonald's menu item. <laughs> but I would yeah, like one, please. I would try I, that. In fact, I'll take two. They sound delicious. Uh, you know what? It's like a chicken nugget that has like barbecue sauce on the inside. I'm here for it. Let's do it. I would eat that. That yeah. sounds good. I'm with yeah, you though, Marcus, because like you mentioned the Zelda thing. Zelda at least is like pretty core to the narrative. Whereas Metroids feel a little bit on the side almost. They're like, they're important for like setting up the the lore or like Samus's mission. And they almost feels like an obligation from Nintendo at this point of like, well, we, we named the series Metroid. So we got to kind of shove a Metroid in here somewhere. 
Yeah, in, like especially in later like, games in the series. Yeah, like they're they'll just show up randomly. It's like the, the story has had nothing to do with Metroids, but now they're just here because well, they have to be, right? <laughs> I don't know. I think they were trying to build up to them, like in the first game. So you you know before you fight them, you'd have the equipment and able to beat them because they're like. You can't kill him without in-game gear, really, right? Yeah. So, well, those first couple of games, they had like the Metroid counter, where it's like you literally had to go murder all of them to finish the game. Like was, that was like a big part of Metroid Two. Yeah, you know, in the Game Boy one. Them all. Talk, can't wait to talk about that. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I think the other weird thing about Metroids is there's they're supposed to be like one of the most intimidating enemies in the game, and some games do a really good job about like, oh, these guys are jerks. I don't like fighting them to an annoying degree. Uh, but they they look kind of cute. I don't know. They kind of just look like I, jellyfish, right? But I I, I think that was weird. I think that's part of the NES effect, though, right? There just wasn't the ability to create these gruesome and intimidating things. Unless I'm wrong. Like I mean, they do look kind of adorable. They, they <laughs> um, yeah, at least in that game. Like they're not gross. Like they're they're like gross enough to where you're like, oh, that thing looks weird, but not like disgusting. And yeah, they're not scary at all. So it's like, you know, like you don't want one on you, of course. But if I saw one floating around, I'd be like, oh, look at that thing. And I'm just be like, okay, that looks cool. I'd probably pet that. <laughs> I'd pet that. Yeah. In a weird way, like that could be kind of mesmerizing. There could be like some weird space horror with that. If like, here's this beautiful thing, but it's also like incredibly deadly. Yeah. Now, if you drew a frowny face on it, then I'd be scared. Okay. You listening, Nintendo? Don't you- do that. Please, God, don't do on that. <laughs> That's where you take them next. You run, if you feel like you need something new to freshen them up, put faces on them. Let them talk, too. I think so, I think Marcus has single-handedly destroyed the Metroid franchise here, <laughs> right here. This is it. Much like the Metroids could potentially destroy the universe. Because, uh, let's go back to the story. The reason the Federation is terrified, not necessarily that they caught a Metroid, but they find out that the Metroids can be reproduced with beta rays and the space pirates don't notice, but they're afraid that they'll figure it out. And they are like, okay, we gotta, we gotta get this thing away from them because if they make a Metroid army, then that's going to be bad news for all of us. Cause uh, Metroids are very hard to kill. Like the only way you can really stop them. I mean, you can blast them and freeze them. And that's kind of it pretty mm-hmm. much. <laughs> uh, so they're like, all right. So they find out that their uh, base is located on planet Zeebs which is an important uh, location in Metroid lore. And they try to, it's interesting. They, they send like forces there to try to deal with them and just nothing works. And it's, it's not till they're kind of at their wits end that they're like, all right, we got to send the best bounty hunter that we know to deal with this. And so they call in our girl, Samus Aran. And what's at least interesting to me is that Samus at this point in the very first Metroid game, it's not an origin story the way you would expect. Maybe like Metroid one, like, oh, this is where we see how she came up. It's like she's already like a seasoned bounty hunter the first time you meet her. Like she's already been on like a ton of adventures. So you're not seeing the like beginning of how she became like a boss. She's been there (laughs) and they're like, okay, you're the only one that can handle this. And she's like, all right. So she shows up. Samus is a human, it turns out, but her uh, armor suit is made by a race called the Chozo, who's also a very big recurring uh, element in the series. And yeah, she pretty much goes in there, kicks a lot of butt, fights uh, the three, or I guess the two kind of space pirate captains, one being Kraid, who's like a big 
lizard thing, basically, with holes in his stomach that he shoots things out of. Evan well, they, Ridley. Mm-hmm. they're like spikes. They've been re-envisioned to be spikes these days, right? Yeah, like they're I just like, like one one's like on his belly like, button or something. Just kind of looks weird. Yeah, he's 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 actually gross looking. I don't like looking at Kree. And it is like the as they modernize, like in Super Metroid, he looks like awful, like in a good way. <laughs> he just looks like something you want to blow up. And then like Ridley went the other way, or Ridley has gotten cooler every time. Yeah, shouldn't like he actually looks uh, terrible in this first game. I mean, granted, it's NES, but you, if you've ever seen like Ridley Sprite, you're like that's. That's that he went from this to what we see now. Okay, you know, Samus defeats both of them, eventually works her way up to Mother Brain, who is the uh space pirate leader. Again, it's when you think of space pirate, you don't think that the leader is just literally just giant brain sitting in a glass container with an eyeball, <laughs> and just that's all he does. He just kind of runs the show. Kind of love that too, and like at least in the original incarnation, too, it's like. It was just a brain. Like if you got to the brain, it was done. <laughs> like there was no yeah. fighting that thing. It was all about like there were like he mother brain had to build or have her minions build a giant death trap around her to defend her because she's just a brain. Like she can't attack. Uh, so it's all like taking out the turrets and stuff around her, which is kind of fun. And so like you said, since uh, mother brain is pretty much defenseless outside of her little traps, Sam is dispatched of those destroys mother brain and then also blows up the uh, space pirate headquarters and saves the day, which also wipes out all the, the Metroids in there, or at least so we think for now, mm-hmm. but and saves the galaxy in scene story of Metroid. Pretty, pretty cut and dry. Like, like most stories of the day. I don't, I don't think they got more advanced than that in the NES era. They really didn't. It was one of those eras where, 90% of the story was in the instruction booklet. You could go yeah. and like, oh, this is the narrative. All right. And that's yeah. like, okay, you beat the final boss. The end. And then sometimes there was a question mark. And that was it. <laughs> you, sometimes, sometimes not. But that was it. Like there was there was never any like long exposition or storytelling. I mean, I'm sure there's like a corner case scenario, but the stories were very, very, very simplistic. I like at I one point the story was filled with twists and turns. Get it. literal twists. It's a joke. Oh yeah, ups and downs too. Lefts and rights. <laughs> Nothing like that Metroid humor. I like at one point in the instruction booklet they refer to Samus as a space hunter. She's called a bounty hunter these days, but like she was called a space hunter. She's like, that's eh, kind of a cool term, I guess. I don't know. As a if you're a kid, you're like, oh, sense. space hunter. She hunts space. <laughs> exactly. It's so weird and like doesn't mean anything. And there's another point too, which is like just the funny turns of phrase of like, clearly they translated it to English and then didn't put any more thought into it. But uh, her entire body has been quote unquote, surgically strengthened with robots. She's basically, they were, they were ahead of their time. They knew, about, they knew about nano, man. They were way ahead of the, well, of the game. I don't, I don't think they were thinking nano machines. And is that part of the official lore? Is she, does she have nano machines in her? I'm trying no, to think if there's a game I... where they actually talk about that. I think she's just a cyborg. Like she can turn into a ball. I remember me and my friends well, talked a lot a about. Can she turn into a ball or does the suit enable her yeah, to I get really this, small? I don't, and go into a ball? It outside the suit, I don't know. I actually don't know. I'm not a Metroid expert. I, I assumed means. it was always <laughs> the suit that did everything. Cause like, 
Well, they the human woman. They say she was surgically strengthened with robots. <laughs> I think that is part of the lore where she is basically a cyborg. Like she has like right, internal yeah, like I technology. Mean, and the, I always liked thinking about like what the what the hell did she do to her body where she can like shrink into a ball? Yoga. Like, isn't there some weird something going on in there? If you're like shrinking organs and like crush crushing things down so you can become a tiny ball. Maybe she's just like a contortionist. And get yourself into some really tight spaces like you know if she's she seems like she's petite she is the funny thing is like in this original game i think the ball is what half of her size so she's really just like if you squat down into a chair you're basically the same height as her in a ball form <laughs> so it's not really yeah. that much smaller but we're like the size of a beach ball roughly <laughs> yeah I think, like, if you yeah. just get into one of those beach ball things that's basically the idea but in like Metroid Prime is where it gets weird because she's shrinking down to like a bowling ball size shape. And like that's messed up. Yeah, that's not realistic. <laughs> I don't. That's why I think she did. She messed up her body. Like, I think she did something weird to her internal organs. And like, that's how she gets down to that size. <laughs> she got them taken out so, to make room so that she could bend tighter. She needed to fit more energy tanks in there. Yeah. She, the suit are her organs, you know? That's Those right. Food, all that stuff's like Darth Vader suit. But better. Darth Vader can't turn into a ball. Not that no. we've seen. No, he can't. <laughs> Wait just, for another special edition. You'll see. Just turns into a pile of ash. Right. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh oh. One other note I wrote down, which I thought was interesting, is they refer to the morph ball as the Maru Mari, which is sort of a Japanese take on just a, a translation to roll in into a ball. To roll into a ball is like. Maru Mari, basically. Very literal like translation. But I, yeah, yeah, I kind of like getting that too. The ball was really cool. Like once you had the ball, like that was it, right? I was like, I can go anywhere. I can do anything. And I can. That was the first those- thing you got, Dan. Yeah. <laughs> cool, like, I don't think there was a lot of games yeah. at the time where you could change your physical form like that. Like usually characters kind of are what they are throughout the Maybe you get mm. a gun, but that's it. But to be able to change your physical form to get into areas where you, that you couldn't before. No, that. You, deal that's actually a really good point though marcus is not just that but like all the power-ups you pick up in metroid are permanent and back in the day i don't i don't want to say that metroid is the first game to do this but it was very unusual because usually you would pick up power-ups and they were temporary you'd pick up a new gun and it had like limited ammo or like you pick up like in mario you pick up the fire flower and you only have it until you get hit again so stuff like that is like you didn't get and keep everything you got so metroid was a little bit unusual in that sense and then that just combined with the exploration stuff that we've talked about where you wanted, like you didn't know exactly where you were going to go or where to go. It was all about like, I have to explore and move through this world. That's very alien, very isolating. Uh, It just created a really cool sense of discovery that a lot of games didn't have. Yeah. And so like, if you want to revisit this game uh, today, your best bet might be picking up a Metroid zero mission, which is an enhanced remake of Metroid one that released in 2004 uh, for the uh, Game Boy Advance uh, pretty much built on the engine of Metroid Fusion, which is a very good game that we'll talk about another day. Um, but it pretty much features the same map, same story, same enemies, just redone better, much better visual sprites um, added some of the platforming improvements that Fusion introduced, like being able to grab ledges. Uh, and it also added a, an epilogue chapter to kind of uh, added another bit of story pretty much picking up right at the end of metroid 
but instead of her just escaping scot-free, she gets shot back down to the planet and has to uh, explore another uh, space pirate base. And basically, oh, she also loses her suit, so you get to play as Zero Suit Samus for the first time. That's where they introduced Zero Suit Samus, I believe. Yeah, you are right. So you get, and she's faster. You only have like your little phase uh, pistol that can only stun enemies. You can't kill them, so you're just freezing them and then just trying to get past them. And you're just kind of working your way to get a new suit, which you eventually do. And then you battle Robot Ridley at the end of it, who is literally, it's not Ridley. It is a robot replica of Ridley that was built by Ridley. Again, Ridley looks like a dummy, but he's wait, 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 Rid- Ridley built the robot rip man. I, I forgot that Ridley more. built that. Like, that's like some weird, like, okay, this is not only is this thing a monster giant and strong, but it's also like a genius. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it builds like, robots. Like, he's like Tony Stark, like <laughs> bending over, just using intricate tools with his big monster claws to make a robot copy of himself. Because that's, that's what you do when you're an evil villain, right? I I love it, honestly. Yeah, you said like this is the way to play Metroid again. I mean, it's not really they call it a remake, but it's like a pretty it's like Resident Evil 2 style remake. Like they are pretty generous yeah. with like the map is similar, but there's like a lot of fine tuning. They went to make this like a mod play more like a modern Metroid in the vein of Super Metroid. So if that's the kind of Metroid you like, then Zero Mission's great. I, I recommend checking it out. Uh, but it's, it definitely touches a lot of the flavor and covers the story of the first one, but it's also kind of its own thing. It's kind of like, um, remember Tomb Raider Anniversary? Mm-hmm. It's like that remake of the original Tomb Raider that like ran on the engine of Tomb Raider Legend. Right. It's it's kind of like that. Where it's like, it is that same game, but they added... You know, they remixed a little bit of the lore, but it's pretty much the same story. It just plays a lot better. looks a lot better. It's basically that kind of. Approach. Yeah. Gosh, you know what it's like? It's kind of like, you know, that Resident Evil 2 remake. Well, I feel like Resident Evil 2 remake. Cause that was like <laughs> just being a dick. OK, <laughs> I would only say like I feel like that was a little more drastic than what Zero Mission does, because uh, at least that's still like a 2D Metroid game. Whereas re2 they that's just re4 <laughs> on in re2's map basically mm, yeah there it is interesting. i love going back to old series and like when developers go back and like remake things but like are very like um final fantasy 7 remake be wild be wacky we don't need the same game again cool yeah, that's Metroid. Is is the original Metroid worth revisiting? We talked about Zero Mission, obviously. Like, that's probably the one to play if you want to like experience the story. But if you haven't never experienced the original Metroid, is there fun to be had here this day and age? It's it's definitely dated. Like I consider myself a huge fan of the series. I don't really have any desire to go back and play this original game again. Funny enough, the original Metroid is still the only Metroid game I've never finished. Um I've even finished Metroid 2, and I, that's probably a worse game. Mm. <laughs> but I did that. And I I would say, and I'm putting myself in the mind of like, if you're a person that likes, who didn't grow up with this game, but likes to revisit old games, and you have to have a certain mindset of being able to appreciate things as they are, and being able to put up <laughs> with maybe mechanics and visuals that have aged badly, then sure, especially if you're a fan of the series and have never played Metroid, yeah, go back and play it. Will you like it? Maybe, but I think it's worth revisiting just for that historical like, oh, 
this is what this was like. And this is how this all started for sure. But I'd say for like a broader audience, no. I'd say, like, again, fine. Track down a copy of Zero Mission. Unfortunately, that game, as far as I know, it's never really been ported anywhere. Like, you kind of have to just get the Game Boy Advance cart and have something to play that on. I don't think it's ever been brought to any virtual console of any kind. What are they doing? Uh, Nintendo, you're leaving money on the table here. That and, like, this mysterious, like, Metroid Prime trilogy that they still haven't released on Switch. It's like, just bundle these games up and sell them. You'd you'd be good, Nintendo, trust me. Have you heard the internet? They already made the Prime Trilogy and they're just waiting for the right time. Who could say when the right time is? When is the right time to make money? You know, Nintendo's going bankrupt. That's what everyone says. I, like, I guess so. All right. Of that happening. <laughs> I guess that's what they'll wait for. All right. Dan, what do you think? Is this game worth? Is the original Metroid worth checking out again today? I think I think as Marcus said, you know, from a historical context perspective, it is fascinating to go back and look at how these early games operate. But if you're just looking for a good game to play right now, no, it's uh, it's very dated and you'll wonder why you went and played it. But again, from a historical standpoint, if you're looking to get some context on how games were in the 80s, obviously, we thought very highly of the game then and it's against against its contemporaries. It's a notable game and created a great franchise. So from that perspective, if you're looking to get some insight into a lot of those things, yes. But if you're looking for something you want to play today to be like relevant no, the game does not hold up well at all. No, it's easy to access though because I believe it's on the Switch Virtual Console. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's easy to check out. So if you have Switch Online, it's cheap. I'll give them that. Worth checking out for that reason, I guess. Uh, cool. Thanks for joining us on this journey, this magical journey into the past for video gameography. We appreciate you guys listening to the podcast. Uh, please stay tuned. Come back. Next time, we're going to tackle Metroid 2, so should be a fun journey. We'll see you next time. Go play Metroid! <laughs>